going to begin a new, new series today called Stories, Testimonies of God's Goodness. Come on, that is powerful. It is powerful. Now, this series we did last year, and you'll remember it's a little different in that I'm not going to be at the pulpit like I normally am. I'm going to be inviting guests up here to share their stories. Amazing God stories. Come on. And, and God stories are important. They're important because they're encouraging. God's stories are powerful. God's stories are inspiring. And so we need to be sharing that, those stories and listening to those stories. Last week, I introduced the series by using Revelation 12, 11. We're made overcomers by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of our testimony. But let me give you another scripture today. Psalm 107, beginning with verse one, it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Then I love this. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Amen. In other words, if God has saved you, you need to tell somebody. If God has delivered you, you need to tell somebody. If God has been merciful to you, you need to tell your story. If God has healed you, you need to tell your story. If God has put your marriage back together, you need to tell your story. I'm telling you, you need to tell your story. Bible stories are so important. And you'll hear, I'll preach those until the day I die. But I want to tell you something. Look at the screen. Your story is important. Your story is important. So make sure you're telling that unique story everywhere you go. Make sure you're telling it. All right. I want to move forward with our first guest of the day. I am excited about this. I want you to give a new life welcome to my mom, Ginger Malloy, right there. Amen. 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 What a privilege it is uh, to have her up here. Um, I'm not going to give away her age, but um, she uh, had me in her 30s and I'm 46, so you can do the math. <laughs> she has kept, uh, done so well in, 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 in with health. In the 80s, she got into the health kick that every, a lot of people did, and it was so crazy. And whole wheat, whole wheat was the thing. Whole wheat, everything, everything. We made fun of her and said, Mom, if you could, you'd buy whole wheat ice cream. I mean, it was like overboard, but she has kept her, her body. Last night, she walked with Kathy and I over a mile up and down hills and everything else, and I'm thankful for her health today and that she could be here with us. Yeah, go ahead. Amen. I want to pray and then we'll get into uh, our content today. Father, thank you so much for this precious time. And I pray your anointing upon mom and myself as we talk back and forth. And I'm praying most of all that this story of grace and mercy and power, Lord, would inspire somebody and encourage somebody here today or maybe watching online. God, we give you the praise and the glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. So mom, you grew up, uh, well, you, you want to say anything? Yes, I do. <laughs> Before we jump in. Yeah, I need to because all the stories you've told about me and everything. It goes I'm with the territory. I, that I can even show my face here and that these people can even receive anything from ruining Christmases and all kinds of things. So 
Um, yeah, I just thank you for letting me be here this morning and sharing with you. Um, this He is right about telling the stories. It, it is very important because it is God that gets all of the glory here. And um, certainly in my story, God did it all. And I'm always so glad to share that with anyone. Amen. Amen. And mom was a school teacher for... 25. 25, 30 Ish. years, whatever. And then it went into adult education. So she's used to being in front of a group, but... Uh, uh, not with a microphone. Not with a microphone. Though. So she might be like this and whatever. But and that, I talk with my hands. So. Yeah, you're fine. You're good. Let's, uh, you grew up in a single home in the 1950s, which is a very... Uh, you know, single homes today, unfortunately, is very common. It was not common in the 50s. Uh, what... Did that look like? What does your child look like? And, and talk about Gramsie, my, my grandmother, and uh, the amazing woman that she was, and church at that time, and everything else. Um, well, <clears throat> I grew up in the church almost literally because we lived across the street from the church and from the church parsonage, so the, the pastors and their families were like families to us. And my mom cleaned the church to pay her tithes, so I played in the church, and my sister, my teenage sister, and her friends helped start the church, which today is, is still a thriving church, and thousands have been saved there. But she and, and um, her, like I say, her teenage friends helped. She played the piano, and they had a trio, and they sang all over, they sang worship for the church and all over the community and actually surrounding counties as well, and they had a radio program for three years. I just I found that, that out. Yeah, three that. years. And um, so that helped to, I'm sure, help grow the church as well. The women of that church were very instrumental in, in building that church as well. Um, they uh, made lunches and sold them in the, the surrounding factories. And... Um, it was, it was a, a, a real, and, and furthermore, as far as my being growing up there, we had church and we had Sunday school in our house. So um, it was across the street. Across the so street. So right. they used everybody that would, including their house. Yeah, and my mother, golden. But uh, we had these little benches in our house, and uh, I would make playhouses on them boats and playhouses for my dolls and things all those years. I have a funny story about that. My cousin, handsome, rip-roaring cousin, would come in from the Navy, spend his time with us. It was our old family house. My grandfather had built it, so he was used to coming there. So one Sunday morning, he was sleeping in, and my mother kept saying, Grant, you have got to get up. The children will be here soon. But he didn't. <laughs> so the children came, jumped on the bed with him, and so he was there for the duration of the lesson. So that, and that was one time that the word didn't come back void because he, he turned out to be, after this rip-roaring Navy experience and everything, he turned out to be a marvelous, committed uh, uh, Assembly of God minister. So anyway, I was raised in a very religious atmosphere and time. Amen. And my grandmother... If she didn't make it, none of us have a chance. Let me just put it that way. She taught Sunday school for 40 years, adults and children. I lived with her for a little bit of time while I was at Lee. 
and uh, just a she never met a stranger, never ever met a stranger. Just a, an amazing woman. Usually worked three jobs because she was, it was just her trying to you know make ends meet. Amazing woman. So you you grew up in church, but you never somehow never really truly committed to Christ and. Uh, I mean, you're in church all the time, but didn't have that personal relationship. Would that be accurate? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly say that, no, because um, I did literally grow up in the church. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, tons of re- week-long revivals, camp meetings, Bible school, <laughs> everything, and uh, youth camps, and, but um, I helped out. In, the, in the, a lot of the programs, as my lovely granddaughters do now, and I'm so proud of them. And um, as a youth, I actually planned a lot of our activities because we didn't have youth pastor in those days. So um, I, I, um, anyone who would have noted my life would have thought that I was a Christian. I thought I was a Christian, certainly. And I did all the things right. I mean, I obeyed all the rules. I never talked back to my mother. Um, I, I was, I didn't, I, I, but I was not a goody two-choose either. <laughs> Another funny story. Um, tell them on myself now. But um, when, one year at youth camp, we, the ca- our cabin and the girls from Cleveland decided to pull some mischief. And it was the last night of camp, so we stayed. Somebody's laughing, so they must have been in on some of this. But um, we decided we let everybody get asleep in the whole camp and sneaked out and rang this big, giant dinner bell. And, and of course, everybody was lights on and running everything. We sneaked back to our cabins and got back in there. So we decided to do it again. We let everybody get calm back down. Every, you didn't know this no, story. That's overkill right there. <laughs> Don't mess with somebody's sleep. I know. I think of these. Well, anyway, I'll, uh, I'll tell you. So, so we did it again, rang the bell. And, of course, they were waiting for us. Or probably couldn't get back to sleep. But, anyway, uh, they, they, we got caught and were in trouble. But I... What could they do to us? It was the last night of camp, and, and I just remembered all those men walking around. We were in the pavilion cafeteria, and I, I, that's what I, my recollection. I remember them walking around like, what do we do? You know? but, um, and I think now it was men like this and busy, and here we they probably had to drive distances the next day. Yes. And anyway, um, but in spite of that mischievous episode uh, and probably many others, but... Uh, I, I would have, I thought I was a Christian. I certainly did. And, um, and anybody else would have thought that as well. I know you walked away from your faith in your late teens. Uh, I've heard your testimony. I want you to share that turning point, the series of events that led up to you kind of that slow fade away from church, away from Christ, uh, starting maybe in your senior year. Um, I can't say that I walked away from my faith. Um, but I did start dating a popular boy and um, got involved in his crowd. And um, 
he was not from my church. Up to this point, I had mostly been going to, to youth activities and, and going out with guys that went along with my, um, oh, God, I hate that screen up there. Mm. Uh, um, uh, going out with guys who, who knew my uh, life and shared mostly these strict values. But um, we, I got involved in, well, experimenting with the world. And one of the things was drinking. And, of course, that, what that meant was that we would, somebody would uh, get a hold of a pint of something, and we would all pass it around and, and take a swig. And um, one time we did it, I, I, we took the swig and ate snow afterwards. And to chase it, I mean, like, are we having fun yet? I, I, I would turn around and just promptly throw it up because I can't even drink straight orange juice. I have to dilute it. So I never did have a good record with the alcohol. But uh, it, that was the day, thankfully, there were no drugs around to get messed up with, uh, not the rampant immorality that we have today, and I'm really thankful for that. But the clear message of that little story is that we, are, we should not get involved with unbelievers. The Old Testament is full of that. Don't make treaties with the uh, people of the land or it won't go well. Uh, don't um, uh, th- just don't be yoked with unbelievers, or it, it'll bring a snare. So I, I was kind of walking with one foot in the um, world and one in the church because I was still very involved in the church at that time. So this kind of exodus from what you had always known began uh, in high school, but what happened in college? Well, the biggest difference in college is that I stopped going to church. And that is really the theme of this message. Do not ever stop going to church. It's very dangerous because it's like the church is like an umbrella. And you walk out from under that and you are like fair game for every demon from hell. And... So, I, and I also at this time, at the school, I started school at a liberal university, University of Tennessee. And um, it, it, you, you, well, actually, the Christian schools, college is just that way. It makes you think and everything. And you, you um, the result of that was I've been like, questioning everything that I had been taught and my relationship with the Lord was going down because I was not going to church. And of course, nobody around me was either. Um, the, the, um, the result of that was that I became an agnostic. I, I actually call myself that. I don't know where I came up with that word, but at that time, but uh, I, I didn't, I, I was just, I was not anywhere. I, did, I questioned everything, and I just was, it, I, it, it was, I was lost at that point. Not lost, lost, but uh, heading down that path. 
I want to take a second just to, to reiterate what she said about that umbrella picture. The, the church, the body of Christ, is not a building. It's a community. It's a gathering. It's a group of people. And when you walk away and disconnect from that group, from that, you know, whether uh, it's online or in person, when you disconnect, you step away from that protection. There's a grace. There's a protection in the body of Christ. And she stepped out from under that. Like she said, she became fair game to the enemy, to the attacks, and much more vulnerable in that state. And I started ministry as a youth pastor. And, I, and, I've, and in my years as a youth pastor, I discovered the middle school years, the middle school years, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, are the most important. Uh, not saying anything against elementary school or high school, but those years, if you can get a kid committed and walking with Christ first in those years, you've got them. But if, if, if they're kind of floating along, and, and never really own. What I'm trying to say is own their faith. you got to own your faith. It's not mom's faith anymore. It's not dad's faith or grand, grandma. It's your faith. And so parents, that's a huge thing that I want you to hear if you have a, a child in elementary school coming into that age or one that's that age now. This is the time that you need to make sure church is a priority. Above everything else. Sports are fantastic. We need to be involved as teams and things. But don't prioritize sports above being in church. Okay? That's just my little soapbox there during your story. But uh, so from college, you're out of church. You're moving away quickly from your relationship with Christ. And in that condition, you got married. So did your... View of church and faith, how did that change well, with marriage? Well, I knew enough to go to church. I'd been in church all my life, lived across the street from the church, and, uh, you know, all the pastors were like family. But, um, so, and my husband was not a believer, and my fiancé, whatever, was not a believer, and he promised that he would go to church when we were married, and he, and he did. He, he kept that. And we, uh, we attended a large Baptist church. I went back to church. And, um, well, I never got out of the church, but I stayed at school most of the time in Knoxville. And I was, I, I, there was no church. I didn't have a way to church. I didn't know, know what, where to go. So, which tells us we need to watch after these kids who are away from home and things like that. But, um, the um, at, at that point, I even sang in the choir in this Baptist church, and it was a good church, good people, and um, attended ladies' meeting, all the things that you do, and, and, and we were friends with the young pastor, and um, he left, and they got these interim pastors to come in, and it was kind of boring, and our daughter was crying in the nursery every uh, every week. So I said to my unbelieving husband, let's just stop going until they get a regular pastor. I was not back in the church for 10 years, 10 years. Um. Looking back, I can see that we just walked out from un- 
from under that umbrella of protection. And that would be my biggest thing to say to you now. Stay in church, stay in church, stay in church, which is a little bit of a problem right now we're going through and a challenge we're going to have to all deal with. I'm going to skip that next question but because uh, you've already talked about being an agnostic and, and all of that. But uh, at some point you realized, and, I, and, you know, we know it was the Holy Spirit. We know it was the Holy Spirit that you realized that you were heading in the wrong direction. And you began that long journey back to God. Um, tell us about the multiple attempts. It wasn't a one-time thing. It was a multiple attempts at trying to get back into right relationship with Christ. Why did it take... Do you, and you share whatever you want to do. I skipped something you wanted to do. You're messing me I up messed with her up. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, I thought I was anal about being... I'm serious, about being prepared... This woman right here is where I get it from. <laughs> oh, well, I have, to, I have to get that all She missed her notes up. Notes. I totally okay. messed it up, yeah. Um, so tell me how I got back. Tell you how I got back into that. Yeah, the, the, the multiple attempts that you... That oh, you, yeah, 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 okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I... Okay, I'm found it now. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way that you would have him go, and he will not depart from it. And that was me. I had been trained up. And um, the fact that we are created beings, and we're seeking. We're seeking um, answers. And I was searching. I was searching for a meaning for life and uh, uh, happiness my marriage was not so good at this point. Um, I, was, I was pretty self-centered, too, at this time. I, it was like um, I began searching for answers, but um, instead of going to the one that has the answers, I, uh, I, I did other things. There were several attempts. Um, I tried turning over repeated new leaves. I was always going to be a better wife, a better mother. Uh, God doesn't want new leaves. He wants us the way we are, and, and he'll take care of all those necessary changes. Um, Did you hear that? It's um, not about turning over a new leaf. It's about completely surrendering to Christ and letting him do the work, because only he can do the work. Anything besides anything that we could do would be as filthy rags. And, and um, all of us uh, have become like, like that. And all, all the, our righteous acts are like, like filthy rags. Um, another journey during this time of seeking um, took me into astrology. And, uh, and all, the all those books and everything, it's a very dangerous path to get on to getting into that kind of thing. Ouija boards, all that kind of thing, you don't want to, you don't want to mess with. Um, Alan was a, um, what is that word? Pyromaniac. <laughs> he loved fire. So after... Uh, <laughs> Holy Ghost fire. Um, 
after, after I got into that astrology and saw that was not the thing, well, I think it was after I became a committed Christian we did this, but we got out into the uh, driveway and burned all those books and everything. That it's, was a <laughs> it's a great day. It's a great day. But my next step in this quest uh, was to read some books about life after death. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross uh, was a, a pioneer working with the death and, uh, and the dying patients in hospice and everything. And um, she, uh, um, you've got me lost. You know I'm that. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> She's going to get me in between services, I can tell you. <laughs> Tune in to the next service. We'll get this straightened out. <laughs> She'll have it straight. <laughs> um, in working with the dying, these people who had these near-death experiences all, they had similar experiences of, of seeing a body and all of that. And, um, and then they would, would go through a tunnel and, uh, and all of that. And so I got into that, reading the, all, all those things. And, and I thought, well, yes, there is a God, but it really doesn't matter how we live. And I concluded we all go to heaven. But when we moved from New York to Atlanta... I stumbled on a book called Beyond Death's Door by Maurice Rawlings. He was a heart specialist from Chattanooga, and he was reviving this patient. And listen to this. And he, uh, the the guy, the guy would die, and he would and he would get him back, and he'd say, "Help me, help me, pray for me. I'm I'm in hell." And this is pretty heavy stuff here, but uh, he's he, that's what he said. And um, Dr. Rollins is going, I'm busy. I'm trying to save your life. But he finally gave in to the guy and said, and prayed for him. And he says, okay, um, if you save me now, I'll be on the hook forever. But it was Dr. Rollins that was, got on the hook. And he, he turned his life over to the Lord. It, well, this scared me out of my wits. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, there is a hell. And I'm don't, not ready for that. So, um, but I kept thinking, what about the Jews? What about the Muslims? Uh, I was, I've always been a chronic warrior and a fixer. And uh, I just wanted all my questions answered and explained before I committed myself. All this time, I was trying to come to God in my own way. All that time, all those ways, all those attempts were her own way. She was trying to come back to Christ her own way on her own terms. So what finally gave you that victory? Well, I decided to read the Bible. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I began in Matthew, and uh, I'll never forget the setting. I was under this great big old hair dryer. Uh, big old hair curlers and all that stuff of the uh, of that time, late seventies, and um, I read Matthew six thirty four that said, "Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough troubles of its own." I got out from under the dryer and knelt by my bed, and I don't know what I said or exactly what God did, 
But um, I do know that before that, I was blind, and now I could see. I was lost, and now I was saved. My faith was miraculously given to me that day. And I know now that I bowed the knee to, uh, to him and put him in his proper place and not all these questions and things um, and let him take care of the Jews and the Muslims and uh, everybody. And all, always before, I was like, well, what about the Jews? What about the Muslims? And I, I let him have it all. Um, to complete this salvation process, however, I, um, I got up from the bed and I felt the need to tell somebody what scripture is that where um, in Matthew, I uh, can't say it, but anyway, you, you need to, to tell somebody. And I tried, I tried to call my mom, tried to call my sister. I got my young niece instead and I, I told her about it and she said, oh, that's great, Ginger, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm hung up, you know. Um, but Romans 10, 11 says, it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you are saved. So, to check. <laughs> um, God had completed the whole process of salvation for me. And he will for you. He will for you. It, 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 we can't do anything. We can't do anything except surrender. It's, it's all about surrender. So what role did the church or maybe believing friends uh, play in bringing you back or maybe maintaining, helping you maintain that walk? Well, after that miraculous experience, and it was flat out a miracle, um, I had a wonderful time studying the Bible. It was, it was like a... a it, well, it, it was just wonderful. It, it was just wonderful. And uh, I, I, st- I actually ended up going to three Bible studies. And, and I would read the Bible into the night like you would a novel or something. And it just jumped off the pages. It was wonderful. Um, and what happened is I was no longer the center of my life. And that's when I had been all this other, all these other things where... Uh, everything was a problem and marriage having problems and all of that. I was no longer the center of it. And I'll tell, I'll tell a little story about Alan. It was during this time, he was five at this point, that he gave his life to the Lord. And his story is really more miraculous because he was five, five years old. And he was looking at the wallpaper. Have you ever told this story? Maybe, but it's been a long time. <laughs> he was looking at the wallpaper on his uh, wall. He was lying on the bed just looking at the wallpaper. And he um, saw red and, and black, I guess. It was, a, it was an awful wallpaper, terrible, Sadie. back in those days, you know. But... Uh, um, so he came downstairs, and I was sitting on the floor. I, don't, I wasn't watching TV. I don't know. Anyway, he came down. We sat there and, uh, um, and asked me about this, all this. And he said, um, and, I, and I, 
I can't remember the exact conversation that we have, but we prayed the sinner's prayer. And he has pretty much, I'm not saying he's been a saint, but he, he did not go all of this stupid way that I did. He stayed with the Lord uh, pretty much. No, he did stay with the Lord. It was just typical kid stuff that you just want to strangle them, you know. But um, I found a good church, um, Mount Perrin, Church of God, and somebody else. Yeah. And uh, um, how many Mount Perrin people? Yeah, several. And uh, Doctor Walker's messages of hope and and uh, all of his wonderful messages just did the trick. The rawness of me began to heal, and relationships healed. Um, there was a popular course at that time. My mind's gone blank, and I don't have it written. Something beautiful. Huh? Something beautiful. Something beautiful. Something good. All my confusion, he understood. And indeed, he had. And that was it. (laughs) We're getting ready to wrap up, but from, you know, from the early 80s, when you were really beginning to grow as a Christian, you've given your time, really 40 years now, she's given her time and resources to the pro-life movement. Um, and when I, when, when I say she's given her time, I'm not talking about a weekend here and there. I'm talking about when she was off on Saturday mornings when she could sleep in, she was on the street counseling women who were going to go in to have abortions, not yelling at them, not berating them, not making, not, not screaming at them, but just counseling with other options and had many, many saves. I can't talk. (laughs) I'll take over. (laughs) Um, In a group this size, there's bound to be people who have had um, abortions. And um, five of my best friends and some that I work with in my pro-life activities um, have had more than one. And two of them work with me now. In, um, in these activities. And um, if there's if anyone needs help in that, there's literature available. And um, Crisis Pregnancy Center, Cobb, Cobb County has a, a wonderful uh, activity there. But um, abortion is, is legal now, as slavery was at one time. And it's, it's just not, it's not where we need to be. Uh, clearly, the Bible points out that innocent life of children, and I'm, I've got a bunch of scriptures here. I'm not going to go into all of that. You know all of this. It's, 
it's not good. If, if any of you have been involved in that, and I'd, I'd say a, a group this size, there has to be. Like I said, five of my best friends had had even more than one abortion. And then, then get some help. I'm going to have some literature. I'm gonna, I didn't tell you this. I'm going to leave some literature here and to mess up his nice office. But, um, and you, can, you could always contact me or this, the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Cobb County is one of the very best. So um, that, that, that's what I've been doing for the last 30, almost 30 years, 30 40, years. Really 40. A long time long time and um, it, it's it's been difficult I, I stayed on the on the streets for 10 years and I, I was not and this is a warning right here I was not prayed up and I was in church and thank the Lord for that at Mount Perrin but I didn't have people praying for me. I didn't want to belong to a group. Everybody that I worked with on the streets were, they were in Gwinnett County, and we would just meet there at the abortion clinic and things like that. And I, and I worked on top of that. I didn't have time to go to their fun activities and things. It was not a good thing. So after about 10 years, I, um, I got um, some problems, and I had, to, um, I had to pull back out of that. And uh, then shortly after that, we moved to Tennessee, and I got involved with the Tennessee Right to Life there and came off of the streets and behind the scenes doing things. We actually got, in Tennessee, we got, um, we were able to, to well, it, for 20 years it took us, but we got the right to have an abortion taken out of our state constitution. There, there, there were seven states at that time that were targeted to get that right in their state constitution, and we, uh, we worked hard to do that. So uh, I'm totally lost from my notes and everything. <laughs> we got to wrap up anyway, but to end, um, I hate to go from something so heavy, but uh, we both get one story to tell on each other. And uh, so, you, you know, maybe choose wisely what that would be. <laughs> oh, dear. I, 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 I didn't write that down. Oh. <laughs> if you don't have one, it's fine. <laughs> he, he was a rambunctious little kid, I'm telling you. He, he just... Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell stories about you. I just can't. But uh, you can tell the one about the neighbor. That's fine. That, about what? About what she said about me. What did? Oh yes. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Uh, we had a, a big neighborhood of kids, and he was pretty much the leader of the group. He won't admit that, but he was. And um, so there was this little one little one little boy who was, um, I think he probably was special, and, and, uh, and so... Special needs. Special needs. And I didn't know that. I'm of course not. He was, what, eight-something. 
And um, so Alan... Maybe we shouldn't tell the story. They, they, <laughs> they went in the garage and locked the them out. And she came and got... She Actually, they lived behind me, so I didn't really know the lady. So she... He went home. She came and, and had a fit on me and said uh, and said all these bad things about Alan and how, how they treated him bad and everything. And um, so I, I had to, um, of course, I had to deal with him. But uh, I, I then later told her, I, I said, you don't do that to somebody's child. I, she was going to tell her whole neighborhood. I said, no. <laughs> I would have to sue you. <laughs> if you did that. Watch out for Mama Bear. Well, I couldn't. I couldn't decide if I wanted to tell the story about. Um, you would you tell a story about me? Well, yeah, that was the deal. You, I couldn't decide. You've though. told enough stories about me. I couldn't decide. Well, that's true. One time, she. <laughs> one time, I was on a swim team. And I swam. That was my big thing was, was swimming. And uh, I felt sick. And I had, a, I had a race coming up. I was there at the meet, and I had a race coming up. And I felt horrible, horrible. And she said, Alan, you can do this. You get up there, and you do this. They're expecting you to. They need you to go ahead. You need to get up there and finish. So I raced. And I always got first or second. I was good. I, always got, I got like third or fourth place. Turns out I had 103 fever. 102. Oh, 102. I'm sorry. So, yeah, talking about pushing. But uh, anyway, uh, I want you to give one final thought, kind of a big idea, you know, for the day. Now, you did have that. You had that. Um, one, one final nugget, and, uh, and then we'll share that song. have gotten all mixed up. Don't worry about your notes. <laughs> um, I would say that that um, staying in church is so important. And I'm saying that now when we're all in jeopardy of losing our churches. And and uh, you've got to you've got to hold on to that fellowship that um, the teachings are good and everything, but really we we have to hold on to each other, and um, and we are really in jet. We don't know what these next. Few, my church's not even meeting now; they're online. But um, we need each other, and we need that constant teaching and everything. Hang on the best you can is what I'm saying, and we don't know what's coming up. Um, I have a fear that um, I try not to let fear interfere with me, but because of of the situation with abortion and um, in our country, well, our world, and this is a world thing going on now, and um, I don't think there's one country that's left that has not legalized abortion and um, so I'm, more, I'm, sca- I'm scared for us. I'm, not, I'm, I'm holding on to the Lord, and I'm not scared in that way, but I don't know what we're going to have to go through. But I'm telling you, stay close to the Lord during this. Stay close to people who know the Lord. Stay close to teachings 
and and so that we can weather this and come and come out victorious. Amen. Amen. You want to share that song before we go? That, yeah. If you put the lyrics up for this song, it's an old song that she was talking about. And uh, are we in D, Gigi? You don't have to play with us, but we'll start there. <clears throat> if you know this, sing it with us. Something beautiful, something good, all my confusion, he understood, all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. One more time. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. Amen. Thank you, Mom.